FM Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I'm here with Mary and Tom Poppendick. Um, and I mean, those pioneers of lean software development, they really don't need an introduction, but they uh, wrote books. Uh, they wrote very, very important books in our industry. Lean software development in 2003, implementing lean software development in 2006, leading lean software development um, Uh, 2009 and the Lean Mindset in 2013. Welcome to the podcast, Mary and Tom. Glad to be here. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks for joining me on this uh, podcast. I want to talk about, obviously, the topic of Lean, but just uh, I purposely said the dates uh, of your published books, uh, 2003, 6, 9, and 13. Um, there is a three-year pattern, and then there's, it switches to six. Maybe I have missed something in between, but if I just look at the dates, we're due for a book. Um, are you guys no. Call- No? No more books. <laughs> no more books. <laughs> no more books. <laughs> so you're not a good book takes a full year of 12-hour days. Yeah. And um, it also requires um, having something substantially new. Mm-hmm. And I think the industry still needs to catch up. Yes, absolutely. And I want to talk about the industry a little bit, about uh, the industry here in this podcast as well. But... Um, also want to possibly focus, at least in the beginning, on some executive topics. There are some misunderstandings around lean. Um, where does lean come from? You guys obviously have taken concepts of lean and applied it to software development and have published around this. But there are still lots of misunderstandings and misconceptions here, um, especially with the um, uh, arrival of Kanban in, in recent years. Uh, people talk about that. And How does this all fit together with uh, lean, sometimes even like lean stash, uh, agile is being used. What are, if, if like, let's say an executive or a team lead or somebody listens to this podcast right now, how would somebody needs to categorize lean compared to all of these other things that are going on in our industry? Hmm. Compared to all the other things that are going on. Well, so like a scrum. Le- lean, is, um, lean is... Uh, taken from the 1990s focus on lean and manufacturing and that came about because in the late 80s there was a my goodness Japan is beating us in our in our game of manufacturing and why is that so there was a lot of investigation on how come Toyota could make things better, faster, cheaper than, for example, the automobile companies in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, lean that made its way into manufacturing, mostly as a set of tools, um, tools that they copied oftentimes from Toyota, but its success never actually came from being a set of tools. Its success came from being a mindset. And if you look at the history of lean in manufacturing, logistics, those kinds of areas, where it's been successful is where it focuses on respecting people and letting them think and expecting them to come up with problem solving and uh, teaching frontline workers to identify and solve problems as soon as they see them. But the fact is the outcome of that is often a more efficient 
higher process and a higher quality product. Mm -hmm. And so people say, let's do lean because we'll be more efficient and have higher quality. And they forget that lean in, in those areas is about, is about making sure that people know what to do, you respect their intelligence, you expect them and teach them how to solve problems and then expect them to do it and um, engage the workers in making sure that the customers are happy and the product is high quality. And that tends to generate enough revenue to keep the organization in business. Mm -hmm. Now, those were good ideas in manufacturing when I first applied them in a manufacturing plant. And so I thought maybe we should think about how the same theoretical you know, background principles would apply in software development. Mm -hmm. And one of the concepts in, in manufacturing is rapid flow of material, no inventory. So the lean software development is focused on this concept of let's make stuff flow and let's not have great big piles of partially done work. Mm -hmm. And uh, turns out, just as in manufacturing, when you do that, you get higher quality, you get more engaged workers, you get um, a better product, you get happier customers. Mm -hmm. So Lean does that. Now, a lot of the techniques are very much the same as Agile. I think Lean provides the theory behind why Agile concepts worked. Because at the time, and remember this is 20 years ago, Great big piles of inventory were being created by something called the waterfall process. People who weren't around 20 years ago may not even have heard of what is a waterfall process. Mm -hmm. But um, it was a collect all of the information, think about it real hard, write up all of these specs, and then mm -hmm. write the code at the end as sort of an afterthought. Um, instead of recognizing that in a dynamic environment where things change fast, and where people sort of kind of want something and they'll know it when they see it, you need to be much more able to adapt to the environment. So mm -hmm. Agile has all kinds of practices that focus on that. And the concept of rapid flow and always making sure that the quality is there at every step um, is a, a Agile concept as well as a Lean concept. So I think Lean provides the, the, the uh, thinking behind Agile. You mentioned Kanban. Yep. So Kanban is a manufacturing mechanism. Kanban means card. And it's where you use cards, physical cards, not computer programs, to signal the downstream process to send more work to the next workstation. It's a mechanism for limiting inventory and manufacturing. And we used it in our manufacturing plant when we first did mm -hmm. um, lean stuff. We didn't even call it lean. We called it just in time because the word lean wasn't invented in late 80s, 89, 90, and um, okay. this was in the mid-80s that I was in the manufacturing plant. Yeah. So, so the concept of rapid flow of material, is it's a little counterintuitive, but when material flows rapidly, doesn't sit around and get old and obsolete and gather dust and get forgotten about. Um, and when you do one thing at a time and get it done, the rapid flow and the thinking, focusing on one thing at a time tends to create better software, just the way it tended to create better quality products and allow you to respond much more rapidly to orders as they came in. Yeah. So similarly, the same thing happens here. If people want something 
and you can execute on it rapidly and focus on just that and deliver it rapidly, mm-hmm. you end up getting more of what people want much faster. And it turns out because you're not you're not juggling all kinds of things and taking up time doing priority setting and not not having old obsolete requests because now people have already changed their mind. You get better stuff, you get it faster, mm-hmm. and it is more efficient. Yeah. But if you focus just on efficiency, mm-hmm. um, and if you focus just on uh, we need to do more with less, rather than focusing on engaging the people, in, the smart people who are writing the software in figuring out what to do, focusing very much on giving customers what they want when they want it, and a learning loop so that you can have a lot of rapid feedback so that people can learn what customers want. If you focus on efficiency instead, well, that's a proxy. Yeah. And and it gets in the way of getting the efficiency. It's mm-hmm. sort of like if I'm a new driver, I focus on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. But drivers who are experienced don't even look at the road. Yeah. <laughs> they, they focus on um, awareness of the whole environment around them and where they want to go. Mm-hmm. They broaden their their view. And similarly, a focus on efficiency is a really, really so, narrow thing. And it, it, it keeps you from getting the efficiency that you want because you're not focusing on the bigger picture. Yeah. I think I think you said something earlier um, that was very interesting and that was exactly around the workers in, uh, you know, Japan in the, I think it was early 90s or uh, mid 90s. Um, you know, excelling in uh, in certain activities, and it was the uh, the manufacturing worker uh, that was you know the the person that was basically uh, with the hands at work to make decisions and improving the environment they are in. And uh, and I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is necessarily the perception a lot of managers have in uh, knowledge workers, right? So uh, where the environment is very, very different, right? So it's not about the efficiencies, as you just said. It's about the uh, uh, the knowledge worker, in this case, software development, building unique products, complex products uh, uh, with these processes that uh, that is essential um, to be so, you know, uh, in, in the application of lean processes. So I think that is a key thing. Um, that we are outweighing as a knowledge worker the work in in manufacturing right and uh, i think that is manufacturing i think a lot of folks out there executives have a efficiency um focus and uh, plan do check act etc right how do we improve eliminate waste etc uh so there's much much more to the game but i feel like i interrupted tom tom wanted to say something too <laughs> <laughs> When we go back to the beginning of our conversation here, we talked about um, respecting people as the fundamental uh, foundation under lean. Mm -hmm. And from the perspective of the knowledge worker, um, the most serious disrespect is wasting their time and wasting their energy on useless things. Now, that is part of what Agile addresses, is identifying and eliminating useless things. Mm -hmm. But Agile also introduces things that get in the way and slow things down. The current architectural directions, um, including microservices um, and uh, all of the modern architectural approaches, 
eliminate a lot of waste that's still present in Agile um, by dramatically reducing the need to wait for permission, to wait for coordination, and um, allows small teams to have total control over their microservice as long as they um, are respectful of the interface definitions and the um, Um, the upstream and downstream customers. upstream and downstream mm -hmm. expectations of their performance and capacity and response time and the like. Um, so the fundamental forces, I think, are how do we, from a perspective of the leadership of an organization, mm -hmm. is how do we enable all of these bright and coincidentally expensive people mm -hmm. to work effectively together. And that's the same thing that was driving the Toyota evolution in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. How do we enable these bright people, factory workers, but intelligent, how do we enable them to work together effectively mm -hmm. and come up with um, ways to delight our customers that will generate enough um, revenue from delighted customers to mm -hmm. enable us to be a successful business. Mm -hmm. And all of the techniques that the people came up with to manufacture efficiently are techniques for manufacturing efficiently. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that those techniques reflect um, collaboration, um, and coordination among individual teams in the context of a carefully designed architecture so that um, the improvements that would happen would be at appropriate um, levels of appropriate scope. Mm -hmm within the larger architecture, right. um, they work very well. The solutions that come up are not the critical thing because they'll be different for each team, they'll be different for each technical domain, they'll be different um, in different uh, contexts, in different architectural contexts. If you're building a house or if you're building a um, car or if you're building a um, application on a phone, you'll have very, very different constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, and your techniques, the approaches, your thinking will be quite different, but you still have to work together and make technical trade-offs. And um, mm -hmm. that's really what Lean is all about. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's important. I mean, you, you mentioned a few times the word uh, mindset, right? Lean mindset. Um, there is... Mm -hmm. As a, mm -hmm. as a reference, there's also the Agile mindset, but we, we don't refer to it as a Scrum mindset or an XP mindset, right? So there's a, there's a different level here. Um, <laughs> yeah, is, is it possible that maybe Lean is, is hard to grab as a, as a mindset because there is no Lean master like a Scrum master or like a Lean owner or Oh, there, like there that, actually right? is. Yeah. In, historically, there has been this concept of a lean sensei mm -hmm. that um, helped uh, plants 
move from manufacturing plants move from the way they were to the way that um, they needed to be. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the idea of a sensi is to make it possible for the existing organization to transition to a new way of thinking. Once the new way of thinking is done, the sensi goes someplace else. Yeah. So the the coach concept was n never a permanent one, and also the coach was one who did a lot of questioning. What I find interesting is today's concept of an agile coach was my concept when I was working in manufacturing and working at 3M of a, the job of a manager. Because the job of a manager was absolutely not to tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. It was to help people figure out how to solve problems and how to become better and bigger by attacking issues. And we were always gauged on, did people grow? Did the overall general um, thing that we were trying to do, did we coach people to, be, to, to make our area better? We were never expected to tell people what to do, in fact, that was uh, sort of against the culture of our company because wow. mm -hmm. um, uh, the founder, McKnight, said that, uh, you know, when managers undertake pe to tell people how to do their job, they're going to make more mistakes than if they would let the people figure it out and make their own mistakes and learn. Mm -hmm. And so managers were not expected to tell people how to do their job. In fact, they were sort of, it was not done. Mm -hmm. They were coaches. They were, they help people learn how to solve problems and get bigger. Now, today, that's what a coach does. Mm -hmm. The only difference, say, between a supervisor back in the 80s right. and a coach today is, you know, 40 years later, is that the coach does not bear responsibility for results and the supervisor did. Mm-hmm. Other than that, job was exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same, yeah. What in the in the in regards to 3M, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in regards to, it depends upon the culture you came from. Mm -hmm. uh, 3M has a very Scandinavian set of backgrounds, and when we started looking at uh, lean stuff, we we first went mainly to Scandinavia because the mm -hmm. mindset uh, was very similar. Mm -hmm. There, the managers were coaches. They yeah. were people who helped their people succeed and learn how to do things and mm -hmm. solve problems. They, they they taught problem solving instead of taking you know telling people what to do. So that concept was always a fairly sort of Scandinavian concept, mm -hmm. which was inherited by the Scandinavian ancestors that we have here in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yeah, talking about senseis, um, how does uh, you know the, the the rise and the, the, the I would say like more publications around cutters um, would fit into into your space. Uh, the, the word cutter pops up more and more. I was just yesterday. Uh, um, cutters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a kata is like uh, if you're in martial arts, mm -hmm. it's doing something over and over again until you get good at it, and. Um, Martial arts, the, the sensei, where you do have a master or a sensei, does not tell the students what to do. They teach something that they repeat over and over again until they get good at. Mm -hmm. So the kata in, in lean is a learning or problem-solving kata. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So the the sort of Toyota Kata written by uh, up by in a book by Mike Rother, yes. I think yep. it's called Toyota Kata, is teaching people how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And so the way you solve problems is that you you imagine what it would be like if things were perfect, and then you get a very 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 good understanding of the current situation. And then you say, given where perfect is, and where I have a clear understanding of where we are, what would be a step in the right direction that we could imagine we could do in a reasonable amount of time, six months or whatever? And then you would go through that, it would sort of be like the plan, do, check, act cycle, Mm -hmm. saying, here's the next step in the right direction. Here is where we are here are some things we think that would get us there. Let's run some experiments and see what gets us there. That's the Toyota Kata. Mm-hmm. That's the constant problem-solving Kata. If you want to know what the root of lean is, it's going to be a problem-solving Kata where people learn how to solve problems. Right. Now, any good problem-solver goes through pretty similar steps. Um, and if you think about the title that we now often talk about of our software engineers, we call them software engineers. Not because they got an engineering degree in school, because oftentimes it's not in the engineering department that they learned, or maybe they're musicians. But what they're doing is constantly solving problems. That's what software, writing software is all about. It's a problem solving exercise. So. Um, software engineers solve problems. They don't do what they're told. Mm-hmm. They are given problems to evaluate, understand, and come up with proposed solutions and try them out. And that's what the process of developing software is all about. Right. Well, talking about um, software development and problem solving and talking about uh, katas and uh, eliminating waste and efficiencies, etc. I have this unique opportunity here with you guys on the call to ask you how you guys feel about the latest, greatest uh, uh, appearance of scaled frameworks and uh, um, processes such as, you know, and it doesn't have to be a discussion around safe, but any any of these um, scaled approaches. I know well, first the, of all, yeah. they're not scaled approaches. Mm-hmm. They're approaches for people who don't understand scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, because look, two decades ago, the internet sprung on the world, and um, some of the big internet companies got started, and they discovered that all of the ways that were traditional ways of dealing with large scale didn't work. And so they proceeded over the next decade, um, you say next five to seven years, think about what Google did and think about what Amazon did. Mm -hmm. They proceeded to invent completely new and different ways of dealing with seriously large scale. And as Tom mentioned, it's as much an architecture issue as anything else. It's how do I think about splitting this up into chunks that people can deal with that are reasonable sized teams and how they interact with other teams. And, um, that architecture, which is now, you know, it took 12 years to be called microservices or 14, something like that, um, it becomes sort of the framework in which serious scale can happen. Mm-hmm. These things that are supposedly called scaling 
are for people who want to avoid addressing the architectural problems that they really need to address and keep one great big central architecture and have all kinds of people have to figure out how to talk to each other because the the architecture doesn't allow them to break it up into team size independent team size pieces essentially the scaled frameworks are an attempt at a process solution to an architectural problem mm -hmm. it's an approach that is doomed because if you don't fix the architecture you are not going to address the problem of rapidly evolving and responding to your customers if you do fix the architecture you don't need those frameworks because the um, technical architecture enables the teams to proceed without the massive coordination and planning that is embedded in the right. large-scale frameworks mm -hmm. so it's a misunderstanding of the nature of the problem mm -hmm. yeah and it's also a misunderstanding of scale because anybody using a quote scale framework is not working at serious scale they're only working with one little tiny monolith yeah, that's, that's actually my experience too. I, I've um, worked with, um, or not worked with, but spoke to teams, and uh, the response was we were using, we were using. Uh, in this case, it was safe, right? But we could pick any other, and uh, and it's like, so who else is, is participating in these efforts? It was just one small team. Uh, so there's like this overlay, and uh, that's why I mentioned based or as part of this process as well, right? So it's a lot of uh, wrongdoing now with these. Um, with these approaches and frameworks. So let, let's compare, let's just take as a, as a mm -hmm. model yeah. AWS, okay, Amazon mm -hmm. Web Services. Mm -hmm. that, that is a coherent, integrated set of services there that's been around for, well, I think it's about 13 years now. And every year they introduce about 300 new services. So that's an average of one a day. These services still exist. And now we have massive numbers of services, many of them coordinated with each other. And if they were even to think about a concept of everybody communicating better, they never could have even begun to get where they are. So back in 2001 or two, Jeff Bezos was really smart when his executive team told him we need to figure out how to communicate better so that we can grow and he said no that's wrong we need to figure out how to communicate less so that we can grow. right and and it's the communicating less by having small independent teams what the amazon calls two pizza teams that are able to communicate with each other and interface properly and carefully with hardened interface boundaries that allows scale to happen. That's mm -hmm. where scale comes from. That's what makes scale successful. Mm -hmm. And as Tom said, if people are using scaled agile frameworks, they have no clue what scale yeah. is all about. None. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, we were just going back a little bit in 2001, right? So obviously 2001, everybody in the agile community, at least, that's the trigger for the agile manifesto, the release, mm -hmm. um, the beginning of the journey. It is... Uh, we're recording this year in November 2019, so we're almost going into 2020 at this point. Okay, so it's almost 22 decades ago, yes? It's two decades ago, right? And, Round uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, what do you guys, I mean, having you guys on the, on the phone, obviously you guys have 
followed this entire journey from before the manifesto to during and are now after. If you had to just look at uh, the last 20, 20 years, maybe the first decade, comparing it to, to the second decade, what's what's going on? Like, I don't want to make this a historic oh, I, I kind of thing. I don't want to do that. I want to look at the past 50 years because I wrote my first code <laughs> in about that. My first job was in 1967. Okay. okay. I worked at Bell Telephone Laboratories writing the software for the number two ESS electronic switching system for suburban exchanges. Mm -hmm. Got it? So I've been writing software since then. And my observation is that there's been a major advance in software development every single decade. And you only have 10 years for something to be new. And then it's not new anymore. And so if we go back to 2000, in the first decade, the really... Far-looking companies were inventing microservices. We didn't hear about them until the next decade. While the reaction to the 90s, the waterfall processes that became the thing in the 90s, and remember, they weren't the thing in the 80s or the 70s, but they became the thing in the 90s for getting big. So those reactions um, led to agile processes, but um, at the same time, not all the agile processes were the same. When we found people trying Agile that had never heard of Scrum, the way that they implemented it tended to be quite different than people who had mm-hmm. this textbook thing that they were supposed to do. Right. So everybody was discovering how do we get over this great big think of everything up front and then code. That's what was happening in the first decade of, of this, cent- this uh, century, so in the 2000s, mm-hmm. 2010. In the 2010 timeframe, a couple of major concepts came out, and especially the concept of continuous delivery. That's when the book Continuous Delivery was published. And then for that next decade, it was much more about flow. How do we rapidly deliver software to, Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't a, how do we get over this process of great big upfront design? It was, Mm -hmm. how do we, rapid we we know we should not be doing that anymore okay it took us a decade but we've discovered that this great big front-end design is kind of dumb so we're not going to do that so by by 2010 that was pretty much discounted yes there were some laggards that still thought it was a good idea but pretty much continuous delivery incidentally makes many of the practices and ceremonies not the technical practices but the um planning and um execution practices mm-hmm. of Agile kind of obsolete, irrelevant. If you're mm-hmm. doing one thing at a time, putting it into production, getting feedback immediately, um, fully automated testing, a lot of the things that were introduced in the beginning of the first decade are no longer really significantly helpful and right. oftentimes mm-hmm. are just waste. So we had two-week iterations in the early, you know, the first decade. And in the second decade, we had, how do we do continuous delivery? Mm. So then we said, well, how do you create a testing framework that's going to make it safe? How do you Mm -hmm. figure out how to deal with interactions of teams when your basic code base is going to change every day? How do you test in that kind of a world? And how do you make sure that your deployment to production is not going to bring production down. That's what was going on in the second half, at least in any of the leading thinkers. Mm -hmm. And um, so this concept of rapid delivery every single day, every single hour, now it's, you know, multiple times an hour, um, 
became the thing that the the people who who were making serious progress were thinking about. But it's 2019, so we have to think about what's next what's decade next? because yeah. yeah, because you know, continuous delivery is last decade. I'm sorry, it's 10 years old. Yeah, we have two more uh, months. Well, mm -hmm. it's got one more year. Yes, mm -hmm. okay, so it's almost 2020. So I'll say I've only got two months here, <laughs> less than two months, six weeks, and we're in 2020. So what's going to be the new thing? Yeah. Well, I'm not quite sure. But I think it's going to be based on machine learning um, and uh, how we deal with that. Wow. And um, how, I think it's going to be based on how we deal with smart devices of all types in yeah. all sorts of places. And some way of thinking about how you deal with that much more effectively than we've been dealing in the past. Right. So I think that's where the next decade is going to go because every single decade that I've been involved, there's been some major advance and yeah. stuff that's 20 years old is, I'm sorry, two decades. It's it's two generations out of date now. And wow. we need to start thinking about the what, what are we going to do next decade? Where is it going to go? What are the major things we need to think about in order to mm -hmm. really make sure that our software makes the world a better place. Maybe we're going to flow I, into that I, new, new decade, right? Maybe we're using flow to flow in. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Tom. I think that the items you mentioned um, will certainly get a lot of time and energy and attention, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's foundational. I think the foundation really is um, a total change in the way um, enterprises of all scales are functioning today. It is not anymore uh, software doing something for the business. It's software doing something with the business becoming integral to achieving the uh, goals of the customers that the enterprise addresses. Uh, if you look mm -hmm. at Harvard Business Review, and uh, many other publications, Forbes, uh, every organization is struggling to, with this idea of digitization. Mm -hmm. How do we better serve customers? How do we better execute what we're in business for? And it's integral that software has to support that. Uh, the cloud, the um, Mobile, coming mm -hmm. um, up uh, virtual reality glasses instead of smartphones mm -hmm. in a few more years. Um, how do we do that? It cannot be done by having somebody in one part of the organization telling the software people what to do and the software people quickly doing it. That's right. Because the fundamental understandings of the possibilities, the potentials are so deeply embedded in the technical possibilities that it has to be a collaborative effort where people who focus on the psychology, the um, economics, the manufacturing, the uh, distribution, the support services, all of the different things that are needed to delight mm -hmm. customers um, require all of these areas to work together. Agile defragmented the technical part of it, mm -hmm. the operations, testing, the um, business analysts, the um, developers, and so forth. 
but that's not enough. It really hasn't had as much impact as will be happening in the coming decade. In the coming decade, it's going to have people from multiple disciplines, um, and in fact, mm -hmm. the disciplines will blur, um, working together from many, many aspects, not just technical. Right. The technical things we've talked about so far are enabling, but they don't realize the benefits that everybody really expects. Yeah. Um, so machine learning, AI, all of this stuff, I think is somewhat overhyped. Um, Internet of Things is going to be a mechanism for doing it. The cloud is certainly going to be around for a long time. Um, but these are all enablers. They're not okay. the results that society mm -hmm. is going to get from it. Right. The results are going to come from everybody working together. And Lean is about how do people work together effectively without needlessly wasting the time and the energy and the creative um, passion that can be engendered if you give them um, adequate purpose for being together. Awesome. Uh, Tom, I think one thing that really uh, stood out to me that was really it's not um, for the business, it's with the business, right? Um, when, you know, that yep. is, I think that is a key thing. We, um, we, could, <laughs> we could go on and on and I would on. like to say, yeah. I would like to say any group of people or organization that uses the term the business is about two decades out of date. There is no concept of the business anymore. Yeah. It doesn't exist. It's our team has a set of customers and um, we don't have a separate tech department that works with a separate product department or a separate IT department that works with a separate business department. We need to have teams focused on customers. Yeah. And uh, so we don't talk about the business anymore. Mm -hmm. it's, it's if you're talking about the business, you're sitting in about 2000. Right. Well, that's that's yeah. I I agree, and I I must say though, I I give it to you guys, um, Mary Tom. This is uh, when you just walk through the decades. Um, um, and breaking it down so essential, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, especially for the last 20 years, right, um, since the, the manifesto, roughly. Um, that was an, an awesome conversation, uh, just listening to you guys. Uh, I'm so, so eager to uh, meet you guys again in person, possibly in one of the upcoming uh, conferences. Um, for everybody out there, this was a uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation um, about efficiency versus effectiveness. You learned about Sensei, Kata, Scale. Uh, we talked about knowledge workers. And obviously, just last but not least, um, uh, a great summary and uh, obviously some great projections. We're two months away from entering that decade. And, um, and then we'll, we'll just see and uh, reflect on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.